welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Our reading this morning is from John 3, 1 to 21. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit." How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Helen, thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Uh, for those who may not know me, my name's Peter Scott. I serve as a senior pastor, and uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. I'm looking forward to what uh, God will say to us as we journey together. And uh, our topic's new birth. So I've got a, a slide here of something that happened this week. Can you believe that? I'm talking about new birth, and this arrived in our house on Thursday afternoon. Uh, that is about one hour old. It's unbelievable how sort of fully formed they are at one hour old. 
and they're just so tiny and beautiful. So our household has been full of new birth uh, this week, which has been exciting. Now, there was, a, there was a father, I want to tell you a little story about a father and a son. They were, they were playing football, kicking a soccer ball around, whatever. They were playing a little game together. And uh, they're kicking it around for a while. And, and suddenly the little boy stops and he, he grabs the footy and just stops and looks at Dad and says, Dad, where do I come from? And at that moment, Dad's mind goes into overdrive. And Dad thinks, oh my goodness, I didn't think it would happen yet. This is too early for the talk. I haven't talked to my wife about, you know, the birds and the bees. What am I going to say? Oh, I have to do this right. I don't want to avoid the question. So the dad walks over to his son and he kneels down and he starts to talk to him. And he says, well, son. And he explains as best he can about when a mummy loves a daddy and at the right age appropriate for his little boy. And uh, he gets to the end of this conversation and he thinks, I think I've done a pretty good job, actually. Whew, I think I did all right. So, so he's looking at his son, though. His son's fidgeting. His son's sort of looking at the ground. He hasn't been really paying that much attention. And, and he says, well, so, son, does that answer your question? And his little boy just looks up to him and says, well, not really, Dad, because my friend Johnny says he comes from Victoria and my friend Ronnie says he's from Bunbury and... Oops. Dad was answering slightly the wrong question, but there's a depth to that little boy's question. I love that story. I might have told that before. I can't remember. I think that's a funny story. Um, so apologies if that, you've heard that many times. Um, the question the little boy's asking is a really important one. Where do I come from? What's my origin? And uh, a well-known speaker you might have heard of, a guy called Ravi Zacharias, says this question, what's my origin, is one of the four key questions that we as humans ask. What's my origin? What's my destiny? What's the meaning of it all? And what's morality? Origin, destiny, meaning and morality. That's that's what Ravi Zachariah says are the four key questions that humans ask. And this morning we're focused on this one of, well, what's our origin? And the other important thing about that story is this idea that our, our birth family, if you like, our, our, our start in life has an impact on our worldview. So if I do, when I do pre-marriage counselling, one of the things that we talk about often is, well, let's talk about the family of origin from, from each of you because it's going to have a big influence on the shape of your view of what life is going to be like. And you come from different families, so what's it going to be like when that comes together? This question of origin comes up in, in lots of different places. And so as we are in a year where we talk about follow me, that's our theme, and we focus on discipleship, we kick off our series, What is Discipleship?, with the question, well, where do disciples come from? The Bible talks about this idea of new birth. And so we're going to talk about where do disciples come from? You might have heard the phrase born again. Or a more theological term, if you like, regeneration. And that's what we're going to explore. But how are we going to explore that? Well, rather than me standing up here and just saying, here are all the answers, uh, I thought we'd... we'd walk as disciples, walk through these things. When we come up with a question as disciples, we can go to a lot of different places to find answers, but the best place is usually the Bible, the Bible and prayer. And so this morning, what I thought we'd do is we would look through 
at the different places in the Bible that talk about this idea of new birth or being born again. And as we go through it, we'll look at, well, what does that part of Scripture say and what does that part of Scripture say and see if we can form a view together on that journey. So I'd love you to get out your Bibles or your phones because we're going to read a few different Scriptures as we go. So get those out. And, and for some of you, you might be wondering, well, if I did have a question, where do I find this verse? It's a pretty big book, that Bible. There's a lot of words in it. How do I find this stuff about new birth? Well, good question. Um, there's the old-fashioned way which is still, it's an oldie but a goodie. So what I have here is a big, thick Bible, and it's got in the back of it something called a concordance. And it's a bit hard for me to open that and show you, but at the back, if you've got a Bible like that or you're interested in getting one, at the back it actually lists words and where they appear in different verses. So you can look up something like birth, and it'll show you all of the verses in the Bible that have birth in it. Now, it doesn't, if you look up new, it doesn't show you all the ones with new, or and or at, but, you know, words like birth or born it'll show you. So it's a really handy um, tool for finding out where in the Bible it talks about certain things. The other tool, of course, is Google. So if you Google new birth, uh, as I did this week, you find that uh, number four, at least on my search engine hits, had this title, Nine Bible Verses About New Birth. So I thought that was pretty helpful as well. So you can go for the sort of old-fashioned version or the new version, but these are ways as, come, as we come up with questions as disciples of God to start looking in the Bible to see, where, where do I find that? So, let's start with the first reference that I found, at least, in the Bible about new birth or being born again. And it's actually not the one that Helen read to us. It's a little before that in John. So, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1, right at the start. We're going to read from chapter 1, verse 1 through to 13. Now, interestingly, Brian Harris read this passage to us last week as well, but it's such a beautiful passage. I'm going to read it all, and the focal verse, which we may have up on the screen, is 12 and 13, but let's read the whole lot because it's a bit of context. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God." So what does this passage tell us about our origins of disciples? We are born of God. To those who receive Jesus, so in this passage, the Word is talking about Jesus. To those who receive Him, those who believe in His name is the right, the birthright is given to become born of God. And this idea of the birthright is is really important in the ancient world. If you were born into a wealthy family, you were set for life. 
that was your status. You, you, you were born into this position. If you were born into a slave family, a little bit harder. In the Roman Empire in Jesus' day, citizenship was often usually conferred by birth. You were born as a Roman citizen. Royalty through most of our cultures, even today, royalty is passed on by birthright. It's not earned by merit or anything, it's birthright. And today, in our society, for all of us, legal guardianship comes because you are born of your parents. So who you are born of is quite important. And we are born of God, this passage tells us. Now, there's another piece of this that I find really interesting. Have you, you've, you've heard of DNA, right? Now, I'm going to give you the full name, if I can say it properly. Deoxyribonucleic acid. And I think I've got a DNA strand. Well, I think that's what it looks like. That's what I'm told in my biology lessons, anyway. So, this is the thing that carries so much information about who you are and who I am. We all have different DNA. It's our, it's our makeup, if you like. We learn about this at school and we find that 50% of our DNA comes from our mum and 50% from our dad. And we tend to look a little bit like mum and dad. It, it, we are in the image, if you like, of mum and dad. So the verse that we just read, to me, it tells us that we, are, we have DNA as disciples of God. We are born of God, so our DNA of disciples is of God. We are going to become, grow up into God's image. And I got to that and I thought, oh, that's really exciting. But then this little question went off in my head and I thought, hang on, now I've used that phrase image. Isn't everybody made in God's image? Didn't make God, God make all of humanity in his image? Hmm. So I thought I'd found this excellent nugget. We all have God's DNA as disciples. But I'm a little confused now because I know that in Genesis it says, no, everybody, whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not, is made in God's image. And when I get to that sort of question, I think, I need to keep searching. I need to go and look at the next part of Scripture. So why don't we do that? See if we can find an answer to that question in the next part of Scripture. And as I looked at the next one down the list of where this idea of birth and new life occurs, it's John chapter 3, and that is what Helen read to us. And I want to read it again, but just a small bit, verses 4 to 8. And I actually want to read a piece out of the message version, just slightly different. I quite like the way Eugene Peterson wrote the message. He just writes slightly differently. It's going to be up on the screen for you as well. So let's read this out of John chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, so this is Nicodemus, he's come to Jesus asking some questions. How can anyone be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? And Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit. And becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. Well, that's the way it is with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Now, I find that helpful. 
I find that helpful in our question about aren't we all in God's image? Yes, but actually, ah, now I start to see this idea of new life and being born again as a disciple is a spiritual thing. And we see Jesus sharing with Nicodemus that you're actually born, reborn spiritually is what I'm saying. The person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So this birth comes by the spirit, and this birth is a spiritual birth. Jesus doesn't actually spend a whole lot of time explaining exactly the logistics of what's going on here. And that gives theologians a whole lot to do when they think and talk about this. But it's clear that this is a a spiritual rebirth. Because Nicodemus' question to me is a pretty sensible one. Do do I have to get back into the womb to be born? That that doesn't work, Jesus. No, you've missed the point. It's a spiritual rebirth. Now, to help us get a little further on what Jesus was saying here, I want to read you a passage written by a guy called G.K. Chesterton. Um, He was a really good thinker from about 100 years ago. Very good thinker. And... uh, If we've got, uh, Mike, if we can put a little video, while the video is playing, I want you to just enjoy this video and have a listen to what G.K. Chesterton says. He's writing of a time when he was sitting under trees just like this. I remember a little boy of my acquaintance who was once walking in Battersea Park under just such torn skies and tossing trees as these. He didn't like the wind at all. It blew in his face too much. It made him shut his eyes and it blew off his hat, of which he was very proud. He was, as far as I remember, about four. And after complaining repeatedly of the atmospheric unrest, he said at last to his mother, well, why don't you take away the trees, then it wouldn't wind. Nothing, says Chesterton, could be more intelligent or natural than this mistake. Anyone looking for the first time at the trees might fancy that they were indeed a vast and titanic fan, by which their mere waving agitated the air around them for miles. Nothing, I say, could be more human and excusable than the belief that is the trees that make the wind. Indeed, the belief is so human and excusable that it is, as a matter of fact, the belief of about 99 out of 100 of the philosophers, reformers, sociologists and politicians of the great age in which we live. My small friend was, in fact, very like the principal modern thinkers, only much nicer. He had a bit of a wit about him, Chesterton. He goes on to make this point. He says he believes there are two types of people in the world. The people who believe that it's the trees who create the wind and the people who believe it's the wind that moves the trees. The trees, of course, represent all the visible things in our world and the wind, wind, the invisible. And I thought, gee, that's that's brilliant. I really like chess. I wonder where he got that cleverness from. Of course, he got it from Jesus. This is the exact metaphor that Jesus was using with Nicodemus. He's saying it's, it's like the spiritual rebirth. What the Spirit does is like the wind moving the trees. And yet somehow in our age we think, no, no, everything's physical because we can see it and touch it and explain it well, and the Spirit is kind of something different. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's the Spirit that's moving everything. Life in the Spirit is life as a disciple. Now, I'm not going to unpack that anymore because Brian's talking about life 
in the Spirit next week. It's so important. We want to do a whole message on that. So we'll talk about that more next week. But for now, at least we've discovered that this idea of new birth comes through and from the Holy Spirit. Where to next? Well, let's have a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. So if you're still following along, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we've got it uh, up here. And I think we've got uh, verse 4 to 7 up here, so a little bit extra. Let me read that. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we're starting to get some repetition, which is good because it seems to seem like that, that, that is what the Bible's saying. So here we hear again that we are children of God born with a right to an inheritance, this idea of being in God's family. One of the new things that adds to our understanding, though, is the idea of washing of rebirth. Washing of rebirth. And, and we see here this concept of cleansing that comes when we are born of the Spirit as disciples. This idea of forgiveness that Jesus ushers in, that we grasp and take hold of because we believe Jesus took away the need for any sort of consequence any sort of eternal consequence for our sin. He's given us forgiveness and a clean slate to start again with. It re reinforces the idea that a disciple is this new creation that God has made, spiritually fresh, new and different from what was before. And I like the link here to the picture that we get at baptism. Now, a few weeks ago, we had a baptism and it was beautiful. And what we talked about was that we believe it's a symbolic expression of dying with Christ and rising again. It's a symbolic expression of the washing and cleansing that we go through when we've given our lives to Jesus and we've risen again with him as clean and fresh, washed with our rebirth disciples. Now, if you've thought about baptism and you'd like to know more, please come and see me or, or call the church office. We'd love to talk to you about that. We don't often sort of advertise that, but it is a really important and wonderful part of moving through the discipleship journey. So if that's something you're interested in, please come and ask. I'd love to talk to you about that. We're just going to look at a few more passages for, uh, because of time's sake, a little bit. Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and we, we continue to create this picture of what new birth, what being born again looks like. And in this piece, we are looking at, uh, let's see, I'll read yeah, one chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Beautiful verse. New birth into a living hope. And I'd say that hope is such an integral part of this new birth. That's what this is telling us. And we're not born into something that's hopeless. Paul said these three remain, faith, hope and love, in 1 Corinthians 13. He also said that hope does not disappoint in Romans 5. So I would say that discipleship clearly always contains hope. This new birth is into a hopefulness because of what God has done for us, and a hopefulness because we are now in God's family. I don't know uh, how much news you watch, but, uh, or, or listen to, or, or look at, 
I saw this fascinating headline a couple of weeks ago. Let me read it to you. Man suing parents for giving birth to him. Did you see that? Man suing parents for giving birth to him. One of the images in the article shows us his Facebook page where the guy was asking questions like these. Why should I get stuck in traffic? Why should I do anything when I don't want to? Why must I work? And in the article he says, as we didn't ask to be born, we should be paid for the rest of our lives to live. Now, I'm hearing a few reactions to this. A little bit of laughter, a few people saying, oh, I can tell you what generation that person's from, or whatever you're, whatever you're thinking. Or was that just me saying, oh, yeah, okay, let's move right along. Um, but he's, he's so well, what's at the heart of this? Why is he asking these questions? Because he's right that none of us have been asked to be born. So here's my question. If you disagree with him, why? Let me read to you out of the article what he said was his underlying reason for this thinking. He says, there is no point to humanity. So many people are suffering. If humanity is extinct, earth and the animals would be happier. They'll certainly be better off. Also, no human will then suffer. Human existence is totally pointless. I agree. If you start with that premise, it's a pretty logical outworking, I would suggest, to decide to sue your parents and everybody else you can. If you start from that position that life is pointless and, I will add, hopeless, I see no reason why you wouldn't get to the position that he's got to. And I wonder if our reaction to this, rather than my first reactions, which were not really very kind... I wonder if our reaction to this should be to pray that one day that man will read 1 Peter 1.3. That one day that man through the Holy Spirit would see that in God's great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Discipleship, this new birth, always has hope. Last verse that we'll share today as we, as we look through together. And it's also from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Wow. So, so here we see this idea that the disciples were born of are born of imperishable seed through the living word of God. If I'm born of imperishable, that has a sense of eternal. This idea that we are born spiritually through an imperishable seed brings with it eternal life. We're born into an eternal family that will outlast our temporal situations. This spiritual rebirth that Jesus ushers us into is forever. That's exciting. And there's also a helpful focus which kind of brings us full circle in some ways on the living and enduring Word of God. That's what we've been delving into to understand all of this. And yet here it, it talks about the living and enduring Word of God holding this imperishable seed and it's through the agency of this Word that we become born again. 
How does that happen? Well, well, we didn't meet Jesus as he was walking the streets of Palestine. But this book contains what we need to know about Jesus. Between this and the Holy Spirit, we get everything we need to know. And so this verse is so helpful in sharing with us that we are born again in part because of the revelation that comes through God's Word. And that's why we journey through it. And that's why we go to it and explore it together and by ourselves. So we've looked at five scriptures. There are a few more. And in part, I don't want to go through the rest of them because I want to encourage you to go home and have a look at them. Not just to be Sunday morning, let's look at a few scriptures, but during the week, see if you can find any others. There are a few. And I also wanted to give you the opportunity now, just for a moment, to chat to the person next to you, the person you've come with, and just share. Is there something this morning that you've thought, oh, that's different? Something you thought was interesting? Something new that you've learned about this idea of new birth or what discipleship is? And the reason I want to do that is because that's what we do as disciples as well. We look at things, we, do, we learn them, we hear what the Spirit says, and we chat with the fellowship. So why don't you just spend a moment, talk to the person next to you, was there something that stood out this morning? And then I'll bring us back with a couple of my observations. I hesitate to interrupt because it sounds like some good conversation going on there. Can I encourage you to carry that on over morning tea and, uh, and just keep talking about that. And as we go through our walk of discipleship, let's keep sharing with each other things that we learn, things that we find out. Just for interest's sake, I guess, for me, the following thing stood out, that new birth as a disciple means that we've got divine origin. We are born of God. It comes through the work of the invisible Holy Spirit. And, and I shared that Chesterton stuff because I found that really helpful. This idea that actually our world is shaped by the Holy Spirit's movement, not the visible stuff that we see. New birth comes through the agency of God's living and enduring word. So powerful. That means if I spend time in this, it, it helps me grow, it helps me change, it helps me become a disciple and grow in God's image. And I'm born into new life with hope. Disciples always have hope. So in closing, let me just say that one of the exciting things about the idea of new birth is the idea that little babies grow and change. They become little children who become teenagers, who become adults. And we're all on different phases of that journey, but the beautiful thing is we have the DNA spiritually of God. He is growing us into fully mature disciples in Him. So I hope you're excited this morning. I hope that's been a good little glimpse of this idea of what discipleship is and where it starts from. So let me pray for us together as we continue to explore this over the coming weeks, months, years of our lives. Father God, it's hard to grasp the magnitude of what it means to be born of You. This divine origin that we've learned about this morning 
that you've chosen us to be part of your family, that you've given us hope and that you've brought us into this family to be there forever. Thank you. Thank you for your word, the agency through which we learn. Thank you for your spirit who convicts us in our heart, who's given us this new birth and continues to grow us. Help us to continue as we grow into children, into teenagers, into adults who are yours and as disciples who love you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.